Welcome to the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider, the podcast where we pull back the curtain and speak to the brains behind sales and marketing activity that has delivered real results. Get inspired and get actionable ideas by hearing what they did and how they did it. Brought to you by me, Ben Rose, along with Gorilla Technology. Welcome to another episode of the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider. I'm your host, Ben Rose, and today I'm speaking to Richard Johnston, co-CEO at Tripodil. In 2011, Richard co-founded Tripodil with his mate, Norm Black. Two locals of Byron Bay, Australia, and business owners, they put it all on the line by deciding to combine their passion for travel, keen eye for business and friendship. The result was one of Australia's fastest-growing travel companies. Tripodil is an online travel agent offering Australian and New Zealand customers travel tours to every continent, including Antarctica, which pre-COVID sent more than 60,000 travellers around the world every year. Tripodil was voted Best Online Travel Agency by AFTA, the Australian Federation of Travel Agents, in 2017, and topped the Australian Financial Review Fast 100 list for 2016 and 2017. Tripodil boasts numerous industry awards, custom-built headquarter offices in Byron Bay, and prior to the COVID pandemic, an enviable growing revenue of 40% per annum. In 2020, as COVID hit the globe with the travel industry at the front line, Tripodil pivoted in order to support their customers better and find new opportunities so that as soon as the recovery begins, they're perfectly poised to hit the ground running. Thanks for joining us, Richard. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. I mean, that's a, that's a hell of a story. Ups and downs, right? Ups and downs, mate. I think, uh, which is very indicative or very true to this to the journey of every entrepreneur. Ups and downs. Uh, probably more downs than ups. I think any entrepreneur worth his salt has had more downs than ups. But then, when you do get get the ups, they certainly uh, make all those downs worthwhile. So I'm I'm keen to understand um, some of those downs on the way to the ups because I know that you know this wasn't your first business um, and it wasn't the first idea that you and Norm had. So can you sort of talk me through businesses you were involved in and what learnings got you to to the point of setting up business with Norm? Yeah, well I think you know we sort of come out of the come out of the mould in two different ways. There's there's people that sort of have uh, very sort of clear. Uh, minded uh, objectives in terms of career pathways and they say you know when you're a kid and they ask you the question what do you want to be when you grow up and someone says a fireman that they actually become a fireman or, <laughs> uh, not many say I want to be an accountant some of them end up there um, in fact most accounts are probably guys who were firemen when they were kids but <laughs> um, I guess and there's the other type which is my type which is Norm's type which is the type that say you know what we, we, we never really had a clear clear pathway all we wanted to do was is to find ways to sort of make a living mm. some sort of deeper satisfaction out of life and uh and sort of and test our strength against the world and so you can't really do that if you sort of lock yourself into the the um, the, the narrow pathways of career uh, having said that there's some you know very uh, amazing people talented people uh Often the smartest people are the people that have gone down those more sort of linear pathways. The entrepreneur is more of a person that's a bit outside the box, who's uh, a bit uh, off reservation in some ways. Um, <laughs> and they're sort of, we sort of say to ourselves, we don't really know where we fit in. I think that's sort of, I think that's, um, it starts off in early life. You're not quite sure. Maybe that's a bit of a, not a, a handicap, but it's sort of something that maybe is viewed in a, sort of slightly negative way but as you sort of grow older and progress you realize 
that's your superpower. Your superpower is that you don't fit in and you're always looking for for new ways to sort of forge new ground. You sort of there's a bit of a explorer in your DNA. Mm-hmm. And that's what leads the um, the individual to say, you know, well, I just don't work for people. I want to work for myself. I want to create my own opportunities. And I think that, uh, and it's a term I use very frequently. It's sort of these are the alchemists amongst us, people that want to turn rocks into gold. So you see a rock and say, how can I turn that into gold? That's a, that's a very different animal. So I guess if you have decided you're that person, and I think you do know that inherently from a young age, then as you sort of grow up into the world and, uh, you know, you leave home and you, and you, you go for your tertiary education and you, you come out the other side of that, you're not thinking, okay, what's my journey? How do I navigate the corporate ladder to get to this ultimate sort of career um, objective I have? You're out there going, you, you're on the hustle. And it's really more about just finding opportunities per se, not following a linear pathway and saying, hey, I want to find some opportunity out there. And you're really open to where it can come from. Because you didn't and, start off in the in the travel industry, did you? No, listen, I, I went to uni my, like most people do, and I had no idea what I wanted to do. You go to uni because you're told to go to uni. Mm. I was good school. I got good grades. Uh, so I was sort of set up to go to uni and get a career. But I, I've never really at any stage was sort of settled on anything. I didn't have any sort of burning desire to for any sort of particular career outcome. I knew I wanted to earn a living. I knew I wanted to travel. I knew I really valued my freedom. I really enjoyed experiencing new things. Mm. And so I didn't think that uh, like a, a linear career pathway would deliver on those objectives. So for me, I got out of university and then I thought, okay, well, how can I, how can I do the things I wanted to do? And the, first and foremost, I wanted to travel. I, I'm a mad surfer. I grew up in Byron Bay. And so I wanted to combine those two. I wanted, to go, I wanted to travel the world and go surfing. I mean, that's not much of a career pathway, but it's certainly a great way to spend your, you know, spend your 20s. So yeah, so surfing lifestyle um like i said it's not like what's when your mum and dad are sort of sitting at your graduation hoping he's i hope he's going to be a surfer that chases lifestyle <laughs> um, but so i did a general arts degree a complete waste of time i would i would counsel no one to bother doing that it's so generalist you do it just because you're really just marking time aren't you you're just like saying hey i'm going to university because i've sort of been programmed to do it so i came out as a, um, a journalist um, I had a major in journalism and right. and film, and also film filmmaking. So, very loosely speaking, I was I was a content creator. Mm-hmm. So I went out into the world. And I thought, okay, I need to make content. That's the only thing I'm good at is making content. So I started making content in different ways for different sort of uh, opportunities, and uh, that's how I sort of financed my travels around the world uh, to begin with. So freelance journalism, freelance filmmaker. On top of that, then working odd jobs in the mountains, on the beaches, little side hustles. But really, the overarching objective was to work as little as possible and surf as much as possible. So hardly a career path of any note. So, um, so from there to the top of the, the Financial Review Fast 100, because I know you do work hard now, what does that journey look like? Well, it's interesting because I think when you're when you're out there and you've sort of removed the safety net of a, like a regular paycheck and like a, you know a, a fixed address and, and <laughs> all those things and building up an asset base, one thing you do learn is you learn the hustle, right? You, and, and I think that, um, and this goes very much for my business partner Norm. The one thing we have in common, the one thing we are, and when you say, "Are you good at something?" I'm good at the hustle. <laughs> I, think we, I think we learned that because he was on a 
similar pathway in his own um, in his own way in his own world. And so we learnt the hustle, and then the hustle sort of goes from a little buy and sell transaction somewhere that sort of you buy something for X and you sell it for Y, you make a little bit of profit, and you or you provide a service or a product or something like that. And then these two things sort of grow as you mature and you understand how to exploit an opportunity better. These things sort of grow in size, so that might become a small business. It goes onwards and upwards from there. So for me this sort of surfing global traveling lifestyle thing turned into uh, in the first instance i helped found and i was the editor of a small surf publication so we we made a surf mag we sold advertising to people and and we and we flogged it through the news agencies and that kept us going for a while that then leads on to going okay well then i started a i helped establish a surf camp trip from sydney to byron bay where we'd pick up travellers in Sydney and we teach them how to surf and camp out along the way to Byron Bay and we deliver them to Byron Bay. They started out Sydney as a German backpacker and arrived in, in Byron Bay as a seasoned surfer, you know, along the way. Yeah, awesome. You know, we told tall tales around the campfire to mm-hmm, all the mm-hmm. pretty European girls and, uh, you know. <laughs> Sounds awful. Like, uh, then you, so you start to do that for a while and you start to get, oh, travel, the travel's got it. There's actually an industry here. Mm-hmm. Pay you know, for experiences and for for you to sort of fill that gap in from when you, when they arrive and they, they, they want an experience, but they don't know how to really to yeah. capture it, to access it. So I say, well, I can actually plug into that. Absolutely. And opportunity to exploit that and so on and so forth. So there was iterations. There was a, a surf school. There was a surf shop. There was, um, and it sort of expanded out to there, you know, as I moved through the timeline, I'm in my 30s. I've sort of each business is getting slightly bigger and better. I did a reward, a travel rewards card system run by the FPOS network with a, a, a Kiwi lad, which was my first sort of dabble in the corporate world, and that sort of went reasonably well. We can talk about that a bit more later, but didn't quite get to the finish line. Mm-hmm. That landed me in Bali, where I then built a hotel and ran a hotel, and and you know, so these things, each opportunity. And none of them were particularly compelling or um, amazing uh, individually, but the sum total of these stepping stones, so the stepping stone got increasingly bigger as I sort of moved forward down the timeline and each time I failed, I was a little bit better the next time round. So it was the collection of failures that led to my ultimate success. That's that's really interesting because I'm sure you know at the time when it feels like when something's failing, it feels like a failure. It doesn't feel like a, an element of success. So how how do you as an entrepreneur, I suppose, when your you know when your initiative isn't working, how do you approach that? How do you rationalise that emotionally to yourself? Well, I think this is inherent in the entrepreneurial spirit. There's a sort of a blind faith in your own abilities mm. where you sort of say to yourself it wasn't me that failed it was i just was in the wrong place at the wrong time yeah. and, you know like there were some external forces that came <laughs> to bear on the opportunity that made it so you couldn't realize the full potential of it so uh, there's sort of like this and, and and i do say i'm sort of blindly optimistic i'm a very optimistic person i think that's a must be a general trait i, I, I do believe it is of any successful entrepreneur because you're always saying, well, what was the glass half full? What's the glass half full version of that? Mm-hmm. And for me, and I don't know whether you've experienced this yourself, but I'm sure other small business owners and entrepreneurs out there have, is that there's some something exciting about failing. 
And I think if you can get that, if you can fall down and be excited by the fact that you've that you, that you bottomed out and go, well, this is the bottom. I'm still here. I'm still good. I've still got faith in my own abilities. Then that gives you this superpower to keep on going and keep, go- and keep building. And so I think that you can't take it personally. So if you take it personally, it's not for you. You're better than plugging back into that linear career pathway where there's much more... Um, safety measures that will catch you from falling too far down. The entrepreneur loves the sense of free fall. They love the idea of like that guy Alex Honnold who, um, that rock face in Yosemite, he free climbs the thing without ropes, right? And at certain points he's holding on, he's 3,000 feet up and he's holding on by two fingers. Oh my God. Right? And and it's quite interesting because I sometimes quote this guy and his whole philosophy was the higher you get, the lighter you touch, right? Mm, Because mm. if you grip on too tight, if you're too scared of falling, right, you hold on too tight and then you fatigue and invariably you can't hold on and then you fall, right? But as the the entrepreneur loves the idea of free fall, loves the idea of being at 3,000 feet with no ropes, with just your fingers holding on. That's that's the driving sort of force of the entrepreneurial spirit. And so I think that uh, um, the sense of falling, the sense of failure is sort of, it's, it adds to the excitement of the journey. And I think when you do fall, when you do fail, you think I'm one step closer to making up that rock face. This time I'll take that line to the left and then other than the line to the right. And I know one day I'm gonna make it to the top. I think that's, you've got to be able to um, gain heart and mm, gain mm. and gain enthusiasm from your failures. So let's let's talk about some of your failures, and we'll get on to some of your successes. And we're talking specifically about sales and marketing here. So what what are some things that over the years you've done that didn't work out, and and why do you reckon that was? Yeah, well, I mean, it's hard to really specify sort of key like actual key situations. It's more like a general sort of uh, succession of small events that that end up in failure. The failures were when I sort of misread the market or I I got ahead of myself in the plan or I complicated uh, my strategy you know I think you can get too too cute for yourself you can get too complicated too complex in the mm. way you build out a plan or you try to execute on a strategy and in that complexity you sort of lose your lose your connection to your customer you lose connection to the opportunity right and I think that you can be too smart for your own good um, and I think that my lessons I've learned as I've failed in things were the things that failed for me was when I got too complex or too complicated about how I was approaching a problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I simplified my approach and simplified my messaging and simplified what I was trying to sell, whether it be a product or a service, I invariably got a much better result. And what I understood over time was that the real superpower or the real defining characteristic of success was something that was a very simple offering that connected to a to a customer via a simple message. And uh, if you can understand your customer and you can sort of clearly see the opportunity and in the most sort of effective and concise way convey that message to them, it's pretty hard not to succeed. But the failures always came from being unsure about what my objectives were, being too complex in the way I was trying to connect the opportunity with the customers. And what 
normally happens there, Ben, when those sort of two dynamics like magnets are repelling against each other is that you spend a lot of money and all your resources and energy trying to sort of put a round peg in a square hole mm. and invariably you run out of steam because you've over, you just can't keep maxing the credit card out anymore or you just haven't got no more hours in the day to, to give to that or you're emotionally spent. It's because you were, you were trying to join two things together that weren't meant to join together. To give you actual specifics, it's normally a maxed out credit card. It's normally a failed relationship. It's normally can't pay the rent. It's some sort of very basic sort of trigger point. Mm, mm. But it says, okay, there's an X through that one, move on. Yep, yep. And, and in terms of the, the, other, the other side of the scale, so when things have worked really well, what what do you look back on? The thing about Tripodil in particular, what do you look back on and think that was a pivotal moment for us in terms of you know the way that you were, your sales proposition or your marketing activity? What was something we did that that really made a difference? Yeah. So in the course of my life, I was a, I've been a, like I'm a content guy. I'm a storyteller, right? That's mm-hmm. sort of what I do, right? In very loose terms. And so I was always good at the messaging. Right, but I sometimes wasn't good at, at, at identifying the opportunity or or identifying the, 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 the customer on either end of that proposition. Right, but I was always good at marketing, so I could always create a lot of hype around something, um, around a product, around a service, around an idea. I was always good at that, but sometimes I was creating hype around the wrong thing or in the wrong way or to the wrong audience or right, whatever. Right. So my esteemed business partner Norm Black who was an entrepreneur in his own right and has had many many different businesses he was a super salesman and what Norm was great at is he's great at people he's great at connecting with people that was his that was his superpower so Mm. I was good at messaging and he was good at connecting with people and he had a really great sense for what people want what products and services really resonated with people and it was always so simple when I first met him I was like mate this is just I always thought he oversimplified things right and i had a much more complex view of the world and he had a much simpler version of the world but what he taught me over time is that there was a beauty in the simplicity there was an opportunity in the simplicity that i was missing and and then what i saw with him is that where he sometimes fell short was in the messaging mm. so he could see the customer he could see the opportunity but he could, sometimes couldn't connect the two as well as he'd like to and so as we We've been mates for 25 years, and we we met each other in Byron Bay. There was a, a, a new retail complex that had just been built. Where I was starting a surf shop, he was starting a retro clothing store. Right, right, right. Right, right next door to each other. Very different people. There was a commonality there in this entrepreneurial sort of spirit. So you know, it didn't take long for us to start to talk to each other, being neighbours. But then I think over the course of our early conversations it soon became apparent that i had some skills he didn't have and vice versa so we became sort of de facto sort of advisors to each other's businesses right and that went on for years for years he'd have all these businesses going on uh, uh, to the right i had these businesses to the left and when he wanted some marketing advice he'd talk to me when i wanted some sales advice i'd talk to him and, and so we were sort of actually in collaboration we were sort of building a business partnership 15 years before we started Tripodil. Yeah, right. And so Tripodil, the reason Tripodil worked was because what we did is we were able to cancel out each other's weaknesses and to bring together our and sort of combine our strengths. And that's I think that's a that's a strength of a partnership. It's a rare thing to find. And then of course, 
you know, he had his 50 failures and I had my 50 failures. And so when you combine the, the sum total of that, we had this incredible library of failures that we could draw down upon. Yeah, right. You compare notes. And so we can navigate our way through that. I think that's why Tripodeal um, benefited from like two lifetimes of entrepreneurism. And then we brought that together with a with a, a shared vision and a very simple idea of um, of selling package holidays to people through a market that we thought was under uh, exploited. And uh, as it turned out, you know, our commercial instincts were good and we went from strength to strength um, up to becoming the fastest growing company in Australia for two years running. And also we were in the top five uh, large, uh, fastest growing companies in the APAC region as uh, reported by the Financial Times of London in 2018. So it was the sum total of all that that gave us the momentum and gave us the sort of the shared IP, the shared experience to really be able to exploit opportunities as we saw them. I think um, in in our case, because we hadn't had, like because we were pretty much running small businesses over the years, we never really had a proper marketing budget. You know, mm. you dabble in bits and pieces here and there, bit of SEO, bit of digital stuff, maybe, uh, you know, an ad in the local paper if you're really pushing it. Mm-hmm. And so to come, to have like meaningful budgets and say, how are we going to spend this? I think the fact is because of our, we were working with a very, with a blank canvas and we were, we, we just applied our, our basic principles of entrepreneurialism is to, is to keep it simple, stupid. And so we thought, you know what, we could, and you'd have people come in and, you know, um, digital media agencies and, you know, media buyers, and they'd give you these super complex plans on we're going to do this, you know, we're going to do some digital retargeting there, and we're going to A-B test that over there, and there's going to, do, you know, do a customer, you know, customer segmentation over here, and then we're going to fill that algorithm into the Instagram, for, you know, and you just, yeah. if I mention I don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> and, and, and as I've worked out, Ben, they don't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mm-hmm. It's really there's something there's almost like this requirement for those guys to give these super complicated sort of strategies and stuff like that to to muddy the water so much that you think geez the only way I can get through this is by giving this guy some money because I've got no way of navigating that yeah. myself. Yeah, yeah. But then we went. You know what? We're not cut, we're not built like that. Um, you know, and by this stage we're reasonably old dogs. You know, we're in our forties. Um, so we're less bamboozled by that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And we can sort of uh, probably be more capable of calling a spade a spade. We're like, you know what? This makes no sense to us. We just want to talk directly to our customers. So we're going to try and find the best, the best ways to communicate with what we perceive to be our customers. So Norm applies his, you know, algorithm of common sense and, you know, uh, he's a man of the people. Um, you know, he's a, he goes to the news agent every week and buys his paper on a Saturday and has his coffee over the road and talks to the old bloke, you know, that walks his dog, you know. Yep, yep. He's, he's that guy. Actual real people. Actually, exactly. And he's always coming back to actual real people. Mm, and so mm. we sit there and go, well, what are we, who are our customers? And I think any business, if you don't know who your customers are, really, you've got to, you've got to answer that question first. If you don't know who your customers are, mm-hmm. then... We don't spend a single dollar in marketing. Right? Don't just spray bullets around hoping to find your customer. Yep. Work out who they are first and foremost. And once you've settled on that, you say, well, what's the best way to communicate with these people? So in, in, in our case, and Tripodeal had taken many iterations 
um, to get to where it landed. We ended up being a package holiday. Where the money was for us was package holidays for the baby boomers, mm-hmm. more or less, right? Yep. To uh, bucket list destinations. And so we said, okay, that's our, this is where we've landed. These are our customers. How do we talk to them? And Norm says, well, that's the guy that walks his dog every morning, picks the paper up and talks mm-hmm. to him whilst I have a cup of coffee. Yep. And I said, okay, and he, and he buys the Daily Telegraph on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Okay, sweet. Um, makes sense. So we thought, okay, well, our, 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 our marketing plan is to put an ad in, well, it says to communicate to that guy via the medium he's most likely to use. And he's still more likely to buy the Sunday paper than he is to log on to Facebook, even though they do. I know that the older generation are pretty avid Facebook users now. But he still has his rusted on habits and the way where he likes to take his, his messaging around his travel, mm. not via Facebook, is by ads in the paper. That's how he's always done yep. it. Yep. And, you know, if you're 60 years old and you've been doing that since you were 20, yeah. you, you know, you, your habits are ingrained. So you That's go, right. instead of being too smart for yourself and go, well, you know, this sort of changing digital world, this, this transformational world, we better, you know, blah, 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 you know, get up for the 21st century. You go, no, that guy's, he's, he's, he's still living in 19, 1975. Mm-hmm. And let's just let's just meet him there. Let's yeah. just go to yeah. where he is and talk to him in a language he understands. Mm-hmm. And so there, therein lies the sort of genius of our marketing plan is to know your customer, speak to them in a language they understand, and put that message out through a channel which you know they're going to be looking at. I mean, it's not rocket science. We often say that. We get, you know, people, it's quite brilliant what you guys have done. You know, you're the biggest advertiser, blah, blah, blah. What is the secret to this? Well, like, we just put ads in the paper. which our customers read because that's their preferred medium for taking that messaging in. But I, but I think I think the other thing you you have done is you've driven you know strong commercial deals to kind of maximise the value of what you're doing by partnering with particular publishers rather than spreading yourselves too thinly. Well, exactly, and so that's the next side of it, right? So you say to yourself, okay, we've sort of got the basic algorithm right, and so you say to yourself, and as you know, as again, as a, as a small business owner, medium business owners, they know what this looks like. There's, there's benefit in focusing your spend through specific channels. You're going to get mm. more bang for your buck if you say to you, hey, I'm going to spend all my money with this supplier over here. He's going to give me a better rate per unit, right? Yeah. If I, I'm going to spend a little bit over everyone, it's in nobody's interest really then to look after me. So we, again, took a very simple view of the media landscape and said, okay, these are the main players. Um, where do most of our customers sit? Over here. Mm. Let's a strong relationship with that publisher let's really double down on our resources in that channel so then i get the extra leverage of life so i'm building a relationship with the publisher who in turn helped me build a relationship with the customer and so it was that sort of concentration of our capital into those channels that allowed us to then get a bigger voice we could amplify our voice in the channel that in our preferred channel because we were doing a, a commercial deal with the media organization we thought best connected with our customer what what i really like about your approach is that it's from you it's common sense and it's it's based on the way you've worked over the years rather than someone's come in and said here's what your strategy should be if you run your own business no one knows your business like you know your business no one likes your no one knows your customer Mm. like you know your customer you can't let someone else come in and go actually your customer is not that because you should know your customer if you don't know your customer you are running a failing business or the air might be coming out of the tyre slowly, but it is coming out of the tyre. You know, I definitely don't need, or one does not need, 
a consultant coming from outside going, Rich, uh, I've done all this work and research and we've you know prosecuted the data and we're uh, we this is your customer is this persona over here and showing me three sort of avatars with some characteristics and I'm like, no, I know who my customer is. And so I think you've again to 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 back it up and keep it simple. First thing, you know, you've got to know who your customer is and you have to have a product or a service that that person wants. If you've got those two things, it's pretty much hard to fail from that point. Awesome, awesome. Look, Richard, you'll be pleased to know we're um, we're at the end of our time. What um, I'm going to ask you is for a single piece of advice to leave our listeners with, something specific for them to think about when they're, they're thinking about the sales and marketing of their business. What would that be? Simplify everything. Trust your instincts. Your instincts are so important um, in running your own businesses of being self-employed because you really have nothing but yourself to really direct you. Trust your instincts. Keep it simple. Know your customer, and have and have fun. And and first and and more than anything else, enjoy the failures because they're a stepping stone towards success. Brilliant, Rich. Thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. No, no problems, Ben. It's been nice talking to you, mate. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider. If you liked it, you can follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app for fortnightly episodes. For other great New Zealand podcasts, head over to podcasts.nz. And if it's IT expertise you're after, then make your way to gorillatechnology.com. See you next time.